terms of the uh, title of the show yeah was uh i i just because i was impressed the domain was open i registered um re-reviewers.com a while ago yeah and then it sort of hit me at once that depending how you read it it could be re-reviewers <laughs> And I was like, that might not be entirely appropriate. I don't know. We could we could have some crossover appeal, maybe. <laughs> Who knows? All right, everybody. Welcome back to Refried Reviews. This is episode two. We are covering Looper. I'm John. And I'm JP. And uh, like I said, today we're going to be talking about Ryan Johnson's seminal 2012 <laughs> film, Looper. Follow up to uh, a movie that he made called Brick, which was sort of his take on uh, noir films set in a high school. Um, I know we're not talking about Brick. I will just say really quickly that I hate it. <laughs> I really, really don't like that movie. Did you ever see Brothers Bloom? I did not see Brothers Bloom. You probably wouldn't like that that much either if you didn't like Brick. See, Brothers Bloom looked really fun from the trailer, though. I mean, maybe I'm wrong and you'd like it. I felt that those two, I feel, are much closer uh, than sort of Looper is, just because it's sort of um, it's very similar and it's almost a style mashup, where it's telling a semi-traditional story but with a super theatrical, colorful sort of tinge to it. So, I mean, I don't really know what bothered you about Brick, but I, I do think of them as closer related. I'd love to tell you what bothered me about Brick. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, uh, I, I just found the whole noir affectation. For those of you who haven't seen Brick, it's set in a high school. It's sort of their take on a noir teen movie, but the whole time everybody talks like they're in a Humphrey Bogart movie. <laughs> and like they go way, way far in that we're all talking like it's noir, but we're teenagers sort of direction. And I found that affectation so so fucking tiring all right after a little while mm -hmm. like it just no one sounded like a person and so i wasn't really <laughs> able to take them seriously as characters or care whether they lived or died mm -hmm. because they were just sort of pantomiming this thing yeah i i heard him say that they were um it was sort of like they were trying to adapt the old noir novels from scratch as opposed to taking their cues from the movies mm -hmm. which is sort of why like a lot of the the language and pacing was similar but not necessarily the lighting and other stuff because he didn't want to make it obvious and he thought that putting it in a high school would be a good way to sort of throw people off so they wouldn't know exactly what to expect mm. from a, what's technically a noir story where you know all the beats a lot of times. Yeah, visually it didn't look a whole lot like a noir. I mean, everything's fairly well lit. A lot of things happen in the afternoon, mm -hmm. um, which neither of which you'll really see in like the big sleep or anything like right. that. That sounded intentional. That yeah. it was it visually, it was very different. No, I admire the craft behind it. I think he took a lot of care with it, but I think he just he didn't tell me a compelling story. Sure. At the mm. end of the day, because everybody was talking like assholes. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, um, but anyway, you you wanted to do Looper. Uh, why, why why are we talking about this? Uh, yeah, Looper to me um, was an example of of sort of why I wanted to do this show in the first place. In that the first time I saw it. I was sort of very caught up in the more science fiction-y aspects of it, like just sort of following the story, seeing how it was going along. And I mean, I guess we, we won't jump too far into it, especially in the first half of the show, but there's there's a little more to it than the marketing campaign sort of showed. So that's very explicitly the first time you see it. You have an expectation of what it is, and then that's twisted a little bit, so... The second time around when you see it, you can observe it much more as a full a full work. 
you're talking how about the beginning like, and end tied together. And <laughs> you're talking about like being surprised when they go to the farm, basically. Yeah, and sort of that 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 aspect of the story wasn't even really hinted at in any of the campaign. Yeah. It Which seemed by, like a very straightforward. Way, dear dear listener, um, as always, spoiler alert: we're talking about movies we watched twice, so you should be aware we're going to talk about the end of the movie. A spoiler alert for Looper: they spend a lot of time on a farm, right? Yeah. <laughs> Unexpected farm twist. Yes. <laughs> um, anyway, go on. Sorry. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, do we want to get into the summary pretty quickly? Yeah, or? go for it. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, I guess just, just backstory first. Uh, like, I saw it in theaters. Had you seen it before we started talking about doing it? Um, no, actually. I didn't. Um, I watched it the first time two weeks ago um, when you were like, hey, next time we record, we should watch Looper. I was like, I better watch Looper for the first time so <laughs> I can watch it for the second time. <laughs> right. And then I watched it for the second time last night. The first time I watched it... Um, I was like you. I was just really engrossed in the world building and the sci-fi of it. And mm-hmm. um, my first reaction, because I had already had um, the farm thing kind of spoiled for me. Like, I didn't know exactly what they were doing on that farm. Right. But I knew that they were going to spend a lot of time on a farm and there was a telekinetic kid. Um, <laughs> and that's kind of all I really knew. And what I found was that that twist wasn't as jarring for me as I thought it would be. Because mm-hmm. people made it sound like it was two movies that had been spliced together. Mm-hmm. And what it was was just a movie that goes over to do this for a while. And it, it feels way more organic than people made it sound. Mm-hmm. And it sounded like the public reaction in the movie when it came out was... Um, why the hell are they on this farm? I wanted to see this cool noir thing, um, which I will say the language of the film uh, just visually really switches from noir to Western once they're on that uh, on that farm in a really cool way. You get, you know, more things are, like, like I said with Brick, more things are happening during the day. You get some wider shots that Garrett Dillahunt shows up, so you know it's a Western. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the the first half definitely, and and most of the ad campaign, sold it as sort of the, in terms of visually, more of a minority report, like cold and sterile future. Yeah. So then, yeah, having it switch over to a very warm, like, you know, fields of crops and things. Yeah, I mean, it's supposed to be 2035, and it feels very much like a farmhouse you would walk into, which is probably what's going to happen. I mean, think about how much, you know, furniture our grandparents have around from when, you know, they were younger in, like, the 60s and 70s. Mm -hmm. Like, probably, you know the shit we own is probably still going to be around in 2035, 2045. We're generally going to keep using it just because, you know, people like to save things. Yeah. Um, we probably won't go to a shiny whiz bang future for another hundred years or so. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm stoked for when we do, cause we'll all get <laughs> robot bodies. Of course. And who doesn't want robot bodies? Agreed. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, uh, that's, that's what I, my reaction was to the, uh, to it the first time I saw it. Um, you know, I, I really, really liked it and I was really excited to watch it again. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, so I guess launching into sort of the plot synopsis, I won't focus on it too much. I'll assume a lot of the listeners have seen it already and saw all the commercials and stuff. Yeah. But um, I guess the, the the general conceit to sort of set up the, the plot is that 30 years in the future, uh, sort of, um, you know, criminal chasing technologies have progressed so much Wait, 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 30 minutes from our future today recording this podcast or from the future? Apologies, that's right. This (laughs) is future and distant future. Um, That that will be our nomenclature. Yeah. (laughs) Future will refer to the time when the action of the film takes place, which is the year 2035. Distant future is the future for those characters. Um, just, and, and we'll just try and keep this straight. It's everybody take notes. Okay. Yes. Good catch. (laughs) Um, yeah. So, so in the distant future, 
technology has progressed so much that you can't really get away with murder. Like, I guess the the uh, the CSI is just that impressive at that point that you can't you get William away with Peterson it. and Ted Danson. <laughs> yes, and um, and time travel has been invented, but they instantly saw all the danger in it, so it was very quickly outlawed, and no one really has access except for these rich gangsters that got their hands on it somehow. Mm-hmm. And something that. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know if I just wasn't paying close enough attention, but something that didn't really click for me until the second time I saw it was the idea that the time travel, uh, it's just sort of you're sending someone back 30 years from whenever you shove them in the machine mm-hmm. as opposed to a more back to the future, you know, you set the clock yeah. kind of time machine. I wanted to talk about that because that seemed to be the case because uh, there's there's that scene where Joe is waiting for somebody to show up and he's a little bit late. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's the only way I can square the mechanics is that we're dealing with something closer to like uh, primer time, time travel yeah, where yeah. you've got, you know, basically just sort of two holes you've poked in a blanket and you can put those holes together and, you know, thread something through them um, mm-hmm. in the classic sort of wormhole analogy. But you can't, you know, we, we don't have a DeLorean and a cool digital clock that'll take us back to 1955 so we can almost have sex with our moms right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought that was just, it was it was sort of an interesting thing that's not usually touched upon in time travel where the the entry point and exit point are are sort of a traveling window. Mm-hmm. Where just if you send someone into the machine two days later, they come out two days later in the near future. Yeah. So anyway, um, that being said, because uh, you can't really get away with murdering anyone anymore, these organizations have decided that the sensible thing to do is to send them in the past and have the bodies taken care of there. So they sent Jeff Daniels back into the past. I mean, probably someone else before him, but he's in charge now. Yeah. To set up the organization where they hire people to do the dirty work. Mm-hmm. to kill the people as they're sent back and dispose of the body. But uh, they're so concerned that this technology, you know, is uh, is so volatile and they don't want to be caught, they don't want any loose ends, that uh, 30... What they do with these people who are doing the dirty work is they sort of keep track loopers. of them. Yes, loopers. Yeah. They, uh, they sort of keep track of them um, throughout their life, and then if they have to tie up the loose end... They send them back in time, and the looper is required to kill themselves. Normally, they have a bag over their head, so they don't know until after the fact, but that's known as closing your loop, hence the clever title. Yeah, and then you then you get a whole bunch of gold bars, and you drink a lot, and you, you fuck some hookers, and then you try and live a life um, knowing that your clock's going to run out and knowing that you know how you're going to die. As they point out in the movie, um, the people who sign up to be loopers tend not to be great at long-term thinking. Um, yes, <laughs> these are these are a short-sighted group of people. Um, something occurred to me the second time I watched it, and mm-hmm. I don't mean to blow a hole in the basic premise of the movie just yet. Sure, um, but why not just send the bodies back? Yeah, I mean there there are definitely a few major major plot conceits where yeah. they're of the type. Well, if they did that, there wouldn't be much of a movie. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm willing I'm willing to overlook it, but I just I had to bring that up for a second that like. I guess watching a movie about, like, people disposing of bodies from the future, <laughs> that's a different kind of movie. I, I could see that movie being good, um, but but that's that's definitely not this movie at all. Yeah, I mean, there, there were certainly questions of why couldn't they just have it so that the time machine is set up to put them into a lit furnace? 
<laughs> like, you know, or over the over a large cliff. Like, there's any number of ways they could have gone about it that were less convoluted than this. I like to think that if they did the cliff thing, they'd hang in the air like Wile E. Coyote for <laughs> half a second and then just drop. And then they'd look down. Yeah. The first mistake. Yeah. And last. <laughs> So, um, yeah, that's, that's the setup. And Joseph Gordon-Levitt is one of the loopers. And you, uh, he's got the crazy uh, semi-Bruce Willis makeup on. Doing a fantastic Bruce Willis impression the entire time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He does have sort of the cadence down even more than the tone necessarily. Yeah. Like, he, it's just little hints that you drop of like, oh, that's that action persona thing. Yeah. I'm wondering when in pre-production they decided that Joseph Gordon-Levitt was going to act like Bruce Willis and Bruce Willis was not going to act like Joseph Gordon-Levitt. <laughs> like, I imagine that's like at the contract stage <laughs> <laughs> so he uh so at that point i think uh you talked about abe and mm-hmm. uh there's his like fuck up assistant kid blue his name's kid blue right uh, yeah yeah and you sort of you get the impression that joseph gordon levitt is he is a good deal smarter than most of the people involved in this enterprise and they even go a little into the backstory that he was the youngest looper they ever recruited yeah so sort of that he became a part of it more due to circumstance and desperation yeah than him being you know like a a wild living like sure i'll take a bunch of money to do something crazy (laughs) yeah he he's definitely the smartest of them it's worth noting that the rest of the loopers do not seem to set the bar very high right (laughs) um like the loopers generally seem like a group of idiotic fuck-ups yeah um and and even even the rest of the organization like there's that scene when they introduce abe and explain what uh jeff daniels character abe did when he came back in time and set up the loopers and he said like basically that that wasn't you know enough to do so kind of just to occupy his time he uh recruited some muscle and took over the city which i think is kansas city right um that sounds right yeah. yeah. Um, and then, you know, Joe says, uh, any other city, that would be impressive. So you get the impression <laughs> that, like, even Abe is a little bit of a fuck-up. And I kind of have a theory um, mm-hmm. that I want to talk about that uh, Abe is Kid Blue mm-hmm. in the future. Um, it did seem like there was more to that story, regardless of what it is. Like, there was definitely, there had to be some footage cut out yeah involving i mean a little bit more history there yeah because like those guys do seem to know each other and my theory is that abe hates kid blue because he knows how much of a fuck up he is and that's why he got sent back to the past because think about it he's like, trying to straighten himself out <laughs> yeah like recruiting loopers is not a difficult thing like you all you got to do is get the first one and then like take them to the place where a guy from the future is going to show up and put a gun in their hand and just say <laughs> i'm gonna stand next to you and there's going to be a guy who appears out of thin air and i want you to shoot him can you mm-hmm. do that for me or, or like, even Jeff Daniels could do the first one and be like, that's how it's done. And, like, once you've seen a guy appear out of thin air, like, you're pretty much willing to accept the conceit of time travel. Yeah. Or, and... or like, Jeff Daniels could do, you know, the Back to the Future 2 sports almanac thing and be like, oh, the Cubs are going to win today. And... <laughs> And, I mean, we'll get into Bruce Willis breaking loose, but also you, you show up tied up with a bag over your head, so yeah. you don't have to be the most skilled person in the world to, to pull this off. <laughs> yeah. And we, we, we are told that the, the loopers use these guns called blunderbusses, and we're told pretty quickly that like, they are short-range idiot weapons. Right. Like, it's not hard to hit things with one of these guns as long <laughs> as they're close to you. Um, so, yeah, the, the, that's made clear to us. But I, I think... My theory is that Abe was a fuck-up in the future, and so he got sent back to run the loopers and kind of thinks of it as a shit detail, Mm -hmm. which is why he started his little organization in the past. And uh, he's able to run things based on the fact that basically just he's from the future. But he sees his young self in Kid Blue, and he's like – he sees – 
the idiotic behavior that led him to this crappy lot in life? <laughs> like, because I think, do you, do you really want to get sent back to like 1982 to go run an organization? Yeah, like, that's a good point. Yeah, like it wouldn't be that bad. Like, I mean, I could I could find the silver lining. Um, I'd go to Live Aid, I guess. <laughs> um, but like, it would suck compared to like. I mean, do, does any do any of us want to go back to a pre-internet you know time period? <laughs> Like, Anyone listening to this? Probably not. I'd imagine not. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's that, that's my theory on where the antagonism between Abe and Kid Blue comes from. Um, mm-hmm. that's, that's that's my fun little tangent for the day. Several more are coming. <laughs> okay, so so we have our basic setup. Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. We um, I forget exactly where it falls in the chronology, but uh, he does he spend the night with a stripper or she's a hooker that he's paying for or something that, that uh, he's a regular client of that. And you can tell that that sort of, he's more into it than she is. Yeah. And he sees it as his redemption. And well, it's, it's when he's gets told to kill an hour. Cause at the beginning he goes to the Bell Aurora club, which is the club that Abe operates out of the back of, because since we're in the noir half of the film, the big boss has to operate out of the back of a nightclub. Sure. Um, a classy fucking nightclub. But, um, yeah, they, uh, after the whole thing with Seth happens that you probably want to talk about, yeah. um, Abe tells him to kill an hour and then he actually has, uh, ends up in, uh, the hooker's room. But at the uh, beginning he goes and is like, oh, uh, what, are you working tonight? And she says, yeah, but some, uh, some gat man already bought me up. Gat men are just the names for enforcers in this universe. Uh, so, you know, he can't, uh, he, he can't have her for the evening in, yeah. in the mm-hmm. biblical sense. <laughs> They they won't know each other that evening. Um, so yeah, so the we have our basic setup, and then when things really start to go awry is when uh, his friend Seth Paul Dano uh, shows up desperately to his house late at night. Which, by the way, what else has he been in? Paul Dano. Yeah. Um, there will be blood. Was the last sort of uh, big thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah. And he also he looks close enough to Lucas Haas. That mm. they sort of blur together, especially because they've both been in Ryan Johnson movies. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. It was Lucas Haas in Inception, wasn't it? Who was the, the first architect? I think so. It was one of them, but I think it was Lucas Haas. I don't know. We'll, we'll look it up later. Yeah, anyway. Um, okay, so he shows up to uh, to Joe's apartment late at night and is clearly desperate. And then we get like sort of little cutaway uh information about this you know sort of worst case scenario that's clearly happened Mm -hmm. where uh seth um his future self was sent back and seth hesitated because you could hear him humming was it it was he was was humming a child a song that seth's mom used to sing when he was a kid. yeah yeah so which this movie does so well is all these little like visual and uh auditory ways that people communicate like from the future to the past like we'll talk about more of those later but like there's a lot of really clever uses of time travel um like you know if you showed up and you wanted to convince your past self not to kill you you'd probably try to make them nostalgic for their early childhood and like appeal to that humanity especially if you knew them so well because you know they're you sure (laughs) (laughs) yeah so um so Seth hesitates, and his future self manages to break free and run, mm-hmm. which, uh, you know, we get pretty clearly from the context and how seriously they're taking it, that this is about the worst thing that can happen if you're a looper. Yeah. And uh, you know that things are not going to turn out well, pretty much regardless. Yeah. So he's begging Joe to sort of to hide him. Yeah. And then, um, 
And then sort of the bad guys arrive at the door almost immediately thereafter, reaffirming how serious this is. Yeah. He agrees to hide his friend. And then uh, they take him back. They take Joe back to Abe. And they, they don't know that, uh, that he's hidden Seth. So there's sort of a long sequence of Abe intimidating Joe. And a fantastic he... scene. By yeah, way. yeah, yeah. Like, I want to diffuse that tension right now. <laughs> I'm not, not going to break your hand. I'm just going to talk at you for a while, and then you're going to give your friend up. Yeah, I mean, Jeff Daniels isn't in a lot of the movie, but he's great. <laughs> yeah, I think he's a, he actually turns in the strongest performance in the movie. Like, he, I find him to be the most indelible. He's just fantastic. Yeah. Especially in that scene where you're brushing up on your Mandarin. No, French. You should go to China. <laughs> I'm from the future. Go to China. <laughs> yeah, probably the best joke in that movie. <laughs> yeah, it's great. <laughs> and um, so there's basically an intimidation scene where Abe convinces Joe uh, to give up Seth based on money. He threatens to take half his silver that he's been uh, stowing away because Joe is smarter than most of the loopers and he's trying to actually work up some savings to live the rest of his life and hopefully get away by moving out of the country. Yeah. And uh, so he gives up. The film endears us to Joe through his use of basic financial sensibilities. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I know about savings. That's a thing in my life. Um, so uh, even even though the relationship with Seth, with Seth isn't, isn't shown to be wonderful in the film, you do get the feeling that he's probably the closest thing to a friend in Joe's life. Yeah. Like, they, they imply Which, that his life is fairly hollow. Them, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Like, good God, you guys are, uh, you're, you're dead inside. No wonder you <laughs> took this job. Yeah, so Joe is already at a pretty low point, it's made clear. He's just turned in the closest thing to a friend for money and is sort of left to deal with this guilt. And, uh, I mean, it's, it's pretty soon thereafter where Bruce Willis is introduced, isn't it? Uh, yeah, pretty soon after that, he, uh, he's out in his cornfield. I love that every one of the loopers, like, has this assigned spot where <laughs> their, uh, their people from the future they have to shoot shows up. And so they just know that, like, oh, I need to show up at this time at my spot. Like, Seth's spot is, uh, like, in sort of the burned-out husk of an abandoned building. Mm -hmm. And uh, Joe's spot is in a cornfield. Like yeah. there's just there's a spot in a cornfield where every now and then a dude shows up with a bag <laughs> over his head and it's his job to shoot him in the face. Yeah. Like it really in terms of the physical mechanics of it, this is probably the easiest, best job ever. Like as long as you're cool with shooting people from the future who may or may not have deserved it. Yeah. Then yeah. Or and eventually shooting yourself. Like <laughs> I mean, there's a whole lot of asterisks in that in that contract. But mm -hmm. like it in terms of just like hours and sheer labor, like this is way easier than being a regular hitman. Mm -hmm. Like you don't have to try anybody you don't have to worry about them running away like they are trussed up like a fucking christmas goose for you are <laughs> delivered yeah um the guys in the future are the ones that have it hard yeah i mean i've i've uh i know that people bring up the why do you have to kill yourself i feel like i tend to give movies the benefit of the doubt especially yeah. movies that i like where like i'll paint in the details myself if i feel like they've left enough leeway to make it work yeah and I figured the, the simplest way to explain that is just when when you have to close your own loop, they send you a, a retirement package of a whole bunch of gold as opposed to some silver. Yeah. And it's sort of the simplest way to to make sure they're dead and they get their full payout. No one's going to try and steal any of their payout before honor handing off. That shit. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Because like, if you and I were loopers and they sent me like future JP to shoot, like... Mm -hmm. And then I saw all the gold on his back. That, that's how they transport the money is uh, it's bars of silver or gold um, strapped to the victim's back. 
and uh, then they send him back, and then you shoot the guy, and then you turn him over, and you cut open the back of his jacket, and then you get your money, and then you throw him into a furnace. Um, <laughs> but uh, but if they sent me future JP, and then I flipped him over, and I cut him out, and saw the gold, I can't guarantee you'd see any of that money. Yeah, like, exactly. Especially if I'm the kind of guy who signed up to be a looper. Like, <laughs> like, I'm me, so I'd probably at least kick you half. Like, I might lie about how much they gave me, but, like, just be like, hey, dude, I shot you in the future. Here you go. Um, but, you know, if, if, I'm, if I'm desperate enough to take this horrible job where eventually i'm gonna <laughs> shoot my future self <laughs> like i am i am damned clearly yeah so i mean that's uh, i feel like there were a decent number of what people call plot holes like that in this movie where he left it sort of open enough that you can find an explanation so yeah. it's depending on how much you like the movie and how far you're willing to bend. <laughs> I do really like the movie, but it does bug me considering how much rigor goes into so many different areas of it, like down to the production design. Like I love how like the the future seems kind of squalid and shitty compared to now. Like it's a little bit like children of men, but we have figured out some more technology. Mm -hmm. Like I love how everybody's driving the same cars they are now, but they've retrofitted solar panels all over them. Yeah, yeah. So that they can, you know, kind of scoot a little farther because gas prices have gone up the way they're <laughs> definitely going to. Yeah. I mean invest it, it, in gold, people. <laughs> <laughs> it is an interesting way to represent sort of the that we still have serious class problems yeah. with the new technology. Yeah. So that, you know, the the lower class are just sort of struggling for the the leavings or again they're the retrofitting as opposed to just buying the new amazing thing yeah 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 um for sure but uh but i guess one one light bit that we haven't touched on at all that i was going to mention is a what is it 10 percent of the population population has a telekinesis yeah a tk ability because because fucking sure whatever yeah <laughs> which i i mean i thought that Upon seeing the movie the second time, I thought they did a pretty good job of layering that in where I got the feeling it would be important, of course, because why mention it? But I didn't spend most of the movie wondering when the plot point hinging on telekinesis would come up. Yeah, I would have liked them to just give me, like, one line of why there was suddenly telekinesis. Like, something like, you know, Joe in his voiceover going, like, maybe it was something they put in our food now. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, I don't know why he, he fucking talks like Joe Montana. But, yeah, um, <laughs> an old cabbie. Yeah. <laughs> But, like, just give me, like, some throwaway line like that instead of just being like, yeah, people are telekinetic, by the way, sure. in the future. <laughs> it's fucking crazy, right? It's yeah. the future. Yeah. I mean, I did like the the, the detail that people are te telekinetic, but it's kind of shitty. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, like, there's, there's actually – this just occurred to me, like, that being able to only, like, move small things – you could do some really cool, deadly things with that. There's a comic I read by J. Michael Straczynski, the guy who created Babylon 5 and mm -hmm. a couple of other TV shows. Um, he writes comics now, um, and uh, probably about five, ten years ago, he had this uh, comic called Rising Stars, which was about an event happening in a small town and a whole bunch of people getting superpowers. Mm -hmm. And one of them is this woman who gets pretty much that ability. She's telekinetic, but she can only move things about the size of a dime. Mm -hmm. And she gets recruited by the CIA because you know what's the size of a dime? The carotid artery. Nice. Yeah. And she <laughs> basically just becomes a government assassin who, like, goes to parties and just pinches people's arteries shut and kills them. <laughs> um, so, like, I, I'm fine with the movie not addressing that. But uh, here's here's a fun direction they could have taken that. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I think with, with having it be lame, it's sort of a funny nod to evolution. Yeah. Where people are like, oh, you know, how could you suddenly have a fully formed eye? It's like, well, that's not really how it works. Yeah. <laughs> you get something that's a slight help, and yeah. it, 
increases over time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some, you get telekinesis, but it's kind of stupid. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, Until dot, 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 and we'll get to that later. <laughs> yeah, so so are we to, to the Willis introduction now? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so, fuck, I can't remember exactly where, where do we get the montage of him growing up is um, it before at, the introduction or it's after it's um, after willis shows up and then escapes and then we get the montage mm-hmm. yeah we we see that whole like the next like 12 hours from young joe's uh perspective and then we see bruce willis's perspective. that's right i forgot it's yeah. the beginning of the willis story okay um the so... willis story <laughs> yes that's the sequel what was he talking about <laughs> i'm sorry for that joke everybody that was uh, stupid as well you should be um so Joe goes out into his field to pull the next job, and uh, and when it comes time for the uh, the person with the sack over their head to appear into thin air, it's Bruce Willis, who he instantly recognizes is himself. Who from, doesn't have a sack over his head. Yes, Intrigue from the distant future. Yes, so uh, he's not really restrained, and he can see his face. So this, of course, causes him to hesitate, and... Um, and because, as we mentioned, he's got all the uh, Bruce Willis has all the gold bars strapped to his back, he knows that he can flip around and block the the blunderbuss shot. Yeah. So uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is is thrown off guard by this, and that's enough time for Willis to punch him in the face and escape. Which I thought using was... the old movie knock you out for twelve <laughs> hours punch. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I couldn't really think of anything comparable from another movie, but I loved the. From Joe's perspective, the action sequence where it's so fast and he's just out and it's it's uh, you know driven by adrenaline and yeah. quick cuts, and then later in the movie there's the distant shot of how it yeah. happened from an onlooker perspective, and yeah. it just looks like the lamest fight imaginable. <laughs> it just looks so stupid. Like... He just whips a gold bar at him and then kind of hustles over and cracks him <laughs> right in the jaw, and that's it. <laughs> And then says something like, I'll give you a what for. <laughs> no, he doesn't do that, everybody. Uh. Yep. So old Joe from the distant future flees. Uh, young Joe knows that he's in deep shit. So um, he, uh, through a series of events, decides that it would be an excellent idea to go back to his apartment. Yeah. Which uh, old Joe later sees him and remarks on how stupid that is. And a, yeah. a young man's mistake. <laughs> yeah, that was a dumb choice, young Joe. <laughs> <laughs> so that's when... Uh, he comes into his apartment. Kid Blue is already there, um, and he but he gets the jump on him and locks him in the safe. Which I loved because it's just – Kid Blue really just kind of takes it on the chin this whole movie, and it never stops being fun. <laughs> like, yeah, I listened to the commentary, yeah. and they said that there's a scene with Kid Blue where uh, Ryan Johnson said that he basically copied the scene where John Turturro is begging for his life in Miller's Crossing. Oh, yeah. Which I was like, oh, fuck, I have to watch those deleted scenes. That sounds great. Yeah, but uh, he said that the pacing, like, it just, it messed it up a little bit where it fell in the movie, and that it really was just watching Kid Blue get the shit beat out of him over and over and over again throughout the course of the movie. Yeah, Ryan, it didn't get old for me. I'm just saying. <laughs> also, we should watch Miller's Crossing on this. On this that is a good one. That's one really, of my favorite really Coen movies. Yeah, I, it, I've only seen it once, but it might be my favorite Coen Brothers movie. Nice. Um, yeah, it's real, real good. Um, we could do like a Coen, just a Coen month, and then do a Serious <laughs> Man um, as well. And oh yes. Yeah, we'll, we'll get that in. Anyway, um, we're not talking about Looper right now, so we're gonna start talking about Looper again. Um, yeah. So, uh, so he falls out the window <laughs> during this fight. With Kid Blue and... Like an uh, asshole. Yeah. And uh, 
was that where it switched to the Bruce That's Willis That's where it story? switches, okay, yeah. Yeah. So then we get the – in what I thought was sort of a, a cool way to handle it, but admittedly kind of confusing the first time you see it way. Yeah. We see the uh, the sequence happen again yeah. where where Joe closes his loop, except that old Joe comes through with the sack on his head and restrained, and he yeah. kills him yeah. and collects the money. So we're basically seeing the original timeline play out yeah. where that everything went fine and he lived long enough to be Bruce Willis in the traditional looper fashion. <laughs> Which is all of our fondest hope. <laughs> <laughs> Which, in an interesting move, we took a, a protagonist that were already probably, uh, you don't automatically like him. Like, they don't give you a ton to yeah. gravitate toward other than we're in his head and he seems like a smart guy. Yeah. I mean, everything else, like, he leaves, he leads kind of a seedy lifestyle and is directionless and on drugs, it appears. And, uh... So it is no in- explicitly he's on well, <laughs> he's on a, just a fuck ton of drugs. Well, yes, but it, you get the idea that it's sort of a uh, you know a hollow addiction kind of thing, mm-hmm. and not a party once in a while kind of thing. Yeah, no, it's true. And uh, he is not a weekend warrior. <laughs> yeah, so you take a character that's already sort of borderline whether we like him or not, and then they show his next thirty years, which aren't great. It appears most of it. He runs out of his money very quickly after yeah. uh, he moves to uh, to Beijing. Yeah. And uh, burns through his money fast enough, which this was the standard. Like, it was his retirement plan. He was going to turn his life around. It was his last job, all that kind of stuff. And then he, he quickly. Totes did not. Yeah. He quickly runs out of money, and you see he's getting drawn back into criminal enterprise and things that, uh, I mean, I don't automatically want to say worse, but it certainly looks worse firing machine guns into crowds and things like that. It's higher risk. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And Molotov cocktails are involved. Yeah. Uh, so we get the you feeling... You hate to see that. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing will ruin your day. <laughs> and, um, so we, we basically see him grow into Bruce Willis. And then, uh, sort of a love story blooms where yeah. he, he meets a woman in his older age and she sort of turns his life around. Yeah. Uh, you know, conveniently before he gets thrown back in time. And, uh, sort of when... They they show the when they when they grab Bruce Willis and then they put him in the time machine right or they yeah they, yeah they, it's they, at least revealed that they grab him and, yeah and, and I so love the detail that in in the future well one thing we didn't mention was that when uh, when Seth's older self came back um, oh of course yeah his older self told him about this crime boss that's that's uh, in the distant future uh, called the Rainmaker and no one knows like who he is whether he's a he or a she or anything what's go- uh, with, with this boss except that this boss is closing all the loops mm-hmm. so Joe early in the movie starts noticing that everybody's loop is getting closed um, in the same month which was one of the things that made me think about the whole window conception of time travel because if it was DeLorean time travel where you could just send people back to whenever if I'm the Rainmaker I'm going to space out when I close those loops in the past so no one in the past gets suspicious and tries to do what Bruce Willis tries to do in this movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, but apparently if it's a window, then it makes sense that he would just have to close all those loops really quickly. And loopers are idiots anyway, so, <laughs> so, uh, so you know, they'll, uh, they'll be fine with it. But, um, yeah, and then uh, we actually didn't talk about the whole, like, parts falling <laughs> off the dude. yeah. Yeah. Which I so what they do just real quick to go back to the Seth thing is uh, they finally uh, get a hold of young Seth and uh, it looks like they cut him up and put him on life support 
Mm-hmm. And I really didn't get this part because they say, um, oh, we can't kill him. That would be too catastrophic for the timeline. But, like, how is dismembering this guy and leaving him on life support for the next 30 <laughs> years any less catastrophic? Yeah, that was something that I wanted to mention that hadn't fully occurred to me until the second time I watched it. Is yeah. I, I understand the idea that they want to kill the old one. Yeah. Sort of. So that's that's why they they do this method because as they're dismembering the younger guy, all the effects carry over into the yeah. distant future version. Yeah. And, um, and a really badass sequence. Yeah, it's yeah. it's pretty gross. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so they carve an address into his arm that he has a set amount of time to get to. Yeah. But the the thing that didn't occur to me until I saw it a second time is. I don't. I don't think they explicitly say one way or the other. But if they're dedicated to avoiding paradoxes, yeah. do they keep him alive in that state for thirty years and then send him back? Because that would be even more horrific than like <laughs> your legs disappearing out from under you. Is if you just have to live as a near vegetable. Yeah, and then then you get stuck in a time machine and get sent back and get shot by God knows who. <laughs> like it's pretty horrible. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm thinking, like, just in terms of sheer man hours, it's probably a bigger disruption to the timeline to dedicate a whole team of people to keeping a guy alive for the next 30 years than it is to just, like, offing him. A good point. Like, at least every if you off him, like, everybody can kind of get on with their lives at that point. <laughs> but, like, now everybody's chilling in a room with this dude who's got all kinds of machinery all over him. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it it that was probably the number one thing that kind of bugged me it seemed like that whole thing was just there so they could kind of have that admittedly very cool sequence yeah Um, i mean it's it it is really having it both ways where the what you do to the present version of the person affects the future version yeah but in appearance only not in logic because like i mean when when his foot disappears he's driving a car yeah. But how did he get to the point where he was driving the car if he yeah. had no legs to begin with? And you get into all those kind of arguments. Yeah. So. I mean, Bruce Willis, there's that later scene where young and old Joe are both sitting in the diner, and they kind of address that a little bit more. Like, Bruce Willis, you know, says, like, if we start talking about time travel, we're just going to be here all day making diagrams with straws. <laughs> yeah. And I really liked that. This is probably my second favorite way of dealing with time travel next to 12 Monkeys, mm-hmm. um, which is to just look at the audience and go, what, are you a fucking physicist? <laughs> like, you don't know how this works. <laughs> <laughs> and that just seems to be the movie's take is like they keep saying like this is a simple this is a precise explanation for a really fuzzy thing like no one really knows you know why was he able to drive the car for as long as he was like mm-hmm. how does time uh sort of heal itself around these improbabilities and stuff mm-hmm. um so i i liked that a whole lot i thought that was that was a good way to explain it and it made me kind of think of time in this universe as sort of an organism Mm-hmm. that uh, is sort of just healing wounds and, you know, things like that guy's foot disappearing suddenly. You can kind of think of them as like scar tissue, chronally speaking, mm-hmm. um, at the risk of sounding like an enormous nerd. But, you know, <laughs> you, you wouldn't be listening to this if you weren't one too. So, one of us. Um, <laughs> anyway, that, that that was something I wanted to address really quick. So, so we're back at uh, Old Joe. It's the distant future now. And he's been living with his uh, his Chinese bride who got him off of drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, and everything's blissful and nice. Um, and you can tell because they're in a more rural area now. Um, <laughs> and then finally the uh, the black hats quite literally show up. Mm-hmm. And the I rabbis really, come to take him. Yeah. And I really, really like this detail that in the distant future, all the Gatmen uh, wear these wide-brimmed hats. And then uh, if you look 
uh, well, 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 we'll we'll get to it later. But there's something really cool about those wide brimmed hats. Uh-huh. Um, anyway, they show up. They they grab old Joe and they uh, take him to the abandoned warehouse where they keep their time machine. <laughs> um, and I love that the time machine's kind of shitty. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, it doesn't look like the best time machine. Like, you feel like if there was a government time machine, it'd probably be a little bit shinier than this one. Well, if they outlawed it immediately, they probably had to grab, like, an early prototype or something and stash yeah. it away. Like, it's literally got chicken wire on the inside. <laughs> I love that. But, uh, yeah, the the thugs are trying to muscle Bruce Willis into the uh, the time machine, and he breaks free, and uh, then he looks at his locket um, that has his, the picture of his Chinese bride in it, and he gets into the time machine anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason we find uh, – later we find out that the reason for that is that his Chinese bride was uh, shot. Yeah. Um, I got to call her something other than Chinese bride, but we don't, we don't ever get a name for her. No. Um, and, you know, they got married, and – they were in China, so... I mean, I think it's fair. Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, so, yeah, we find out that she got shot, and he's come back into the past, um, basically, to try and find and kill the Rainmaker as a child, thinking that then he'll get zapped back into the future, and he'll have his wife back, and, you know, his life can kind of proceed as normal. Yes. So that's sort of his his uh, his dog in this hunt, if mm-hmm. you will. <laughs> um, okay, so... So where does that leave us? Does it it just picks up where Joseph Gordon Levitt falls out the window, old Joe grabs him, yeah, and then um let's see. And leaves him in an alley, and then later they end up in the diner. Mm-hmm. Um and then they have the whole like conversation about uh, you know, diagrams of straws. And uh at that point, Joe uh young Joe figures out what he's trying to do. He knows that uh old Joe has um narrowed down which uh the the identity of the rainmaker to one of three children Mm -hmm. and this is the part of the movie where we start getting some child murder (laughs) Um, which the first time i did not see coming Uh the second time i realized okay guys i do not advocate murdering children i think it's a terrible (laughs) idea but if you're gonna Uh this is probably the only good reason you could ever possibly have um like all right. Like, I still don't think it's a very good idea. I think there are better ways to deal with it, like some sort of, like, Charles Xavier sort of situation. <laughs> sure. Where you educate the kid. But, like, if you He's tell desperate. me... Yeah, if you tell me this is the only way to get it done and a whole lot of people are going to die later, uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I guess the... Again, I do not advocate child murder. <laughs> where I, I guess the <laughs> the child murder aspect is is sort of what really drew me to the movie after it was <laughs> over. <laughs> yeah, I thought you'd enjoy that. Um, but sort of the the my favorite theme that was brought up in the whole thing is so often we hear stories of gaining perspective over time and wisdom and all that sort of conventional thinking. And here we have a situation where the same person at two different points in their life look at the same information and come to opposite conclusions. Yeah. And, I mean, I'm assuming that the audience generally agrees with, with the, the younger protagonist's opinion yeah. on things. So it, it, I thought it <laughs> that was... That we shouldn't shoot children? Yeah, well, that, that it's not worth the change. Because, I mean, yeah. if you look at it from, like, the a top view, all the information we really have is that the Rainmaker is going through and closing all the loops. Yeah. And those are the people that he's killing. Yeah. It's not... It doesn't sound like the Rainmaker is necessarily slaughtering innocents. 
and that that Bruce Willis can use this argument that he's stopping a catastrophe. It's it's well, more we self interest. Uh, we do hear him called a holy terror in the future, mm-hmm. and we find out um, we're, we're running a little long, so we'll we'll, we'll, we'll summarize the, sure. sort of the, the the last part of the movie uh, quickly and kind of go in deep analysis. Um, mm-hmm. But basically. Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt finds himself on this farm where one of the three kids who might be the Rainmaker is, and he meets this little kid named Sid who's got telekinetic abilities that are way beyond anybody else's. Like, he can he can float people and also explode them yes. um, in slow motion, <laughs> and it's really cool. Um, sorry, Garrett Dillahunt. Um, but, yeah, they, he, he's got this whole, like, you know, sort of Charles Xavier mutant thing going on where when he panics, really terrible things happen. Mm-hmm. And his mom um, is kind of trying to train him out of that. And there's a couple things we hear about the Rainmaker earlier that they hear rumors that maybe he saw his mom get shot. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the movie... It seemed very Tyler Durden-esque. Yeah, yeah. Um, he sleeps only an hour a night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that sort of shit. <laughs> but then at the end of the movie, um, when old when old Bruce Willis, um, or, or just Bruce Willis... <laughs> When old Bruce One Willis, the same. Yeah. <laughs> when Bruce Willis shows up at the end um, to the farm to try and finally, you know, kill Sid and uh, stop the whole Rainmaker thing from happening, mm-hmm. we see uh, young Joe sees the bad path uh, for Sid and basically the future that would turn Sid into the Rainmaker. And it's his mom getting shot and him having to go on the run and him just becoming this, you know, wrathful demigod that can explode people. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't want that. Um, so he realizes that he is according to his own interpretation, triggering the very thing he's trying to stop. Exactly. Yeah. Shades of 12 Monkeys. Yes. Also precisely. starring Bruce Willis. Yeah, um, I did I did notice that when yeah. I walked out. We need to keep Bruce Willis away from time machines. <laughs> <laughs> That's the conclusion here. Huh. Um, but yeah, that, that little hint that uh, he saw his mom get shot, and it also was something I wanted to bring up. You know, whenever uh, Joe, ta- whenever young Joe talks to Sid about uh, Sarah, his mom, he says, she's not my mom, she's a liar. Mm-hmm. Do you think Sarah's really Sid's mom? Um, I mean, it, it felt like, it felt to me like that, that she was telling the truth mm-hmm. that, uh, that she gave him up when he was too young to remember anything. And then the, so that her sister ended up raising Sid. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought that it, it made sense and I didn't think that there was that much evidence for why she would lie about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that she was. It's something that the movie seems to kind of want to misdirect us on. But at the end of the day, it seems like uh, his sister, like her story does kind of check out. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sid just, you know, kind of imprinted on this other woman when he was really, really young. And now, you know, kind of doesn't know what to do with Sarah and doesn't really know if he can trust her and all, all that sort of stuff. But now, it does seem like young, uh, like Sid, when he was a little kid, like he killed his mom with his telekinetic powers, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So I think the, I think part of the point of all that misdirection was uh, to make Joe's realization um, hit harder that, oh, it was this trauma yeah. that, that really led him on the bad path because it sounds like he's already had some trauma when we come upon him. Sounds so there's the idea that Sid, yeah. he could already be, you know, the rainmaker at that point because yeah. he's already experienced some terrible things. And then the misdirection and then the idea that, oh, he sees his mother get shot. I assume yeah. that's the bad one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. there's even that scene where right after uh, we see Sid freak out and explode Garrett Dillahunt, mm-hmm. um, where J- young Joe chases him into the cornfield and is like, 
fuck it, like, uh, clearly my older self is right, and I need to shoot this kid because he's got freaky-ass demon powers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then he finds him, and he's just this sad little kid. And, like, yeah, young Joe just can't he's, – he's a little soft-hearted. He just can't do it. And he's mm-hmm. like, yeah, you know, maybe we can, like, sort of train this kid and uh, make him use these abilities for something other than exploding people. Right. Or maybe just exploding bad people. <laughs> um, there's got to be more you can do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I liked that a whole lot, that, that sort of uh, – that sort of arc because that at that point pretty quickly after that we get um old joe gets captured kid blue finally gets his hands on old joe mm-hmm. brings him into the headquarters and then we get this kind of lazy bravura action sequence where <laughs> old joe just lays waste to the entire mafia yeah um i mean granted they do put him near a gun locker which you probably shouldn't do <laughs> and then he gets his hand on a couple of machine guns and just wax everybody mm-hmm. but there's there's some pretty stupid behavior on the part of those thugs during this scene like the, i'm thinking of the one guy who just charges into the room and immediately just gets gunned down mm-hmm. i'm like you didn't you didn't think to take cover after you heard the gunfire <laughs> like like maybe you chill at that corner for a second and check things out maybe blind fire a couple of rounds into that room doesn't play enough call of duty or something he does not yeah. no like cover-based <laughs> shooters man um but yeah, that that was I mean it was still cool and I was sad to see Jeff Daniels go, but after that, you know, old Joe kind of goes to the farm and basically says to young Joe like I'm going to do this. No one's coming after you. You can just go and have your life now. Mm-hmm. And uh at that point, young Joe has his character arc, which is great to see, mm-hmm. and says like no, I'm not leaving. I'm not going to let you shoot this kid. Like he's kind of started to care about something other than himself on this farm. Yeah. Um and you know he's he's finally doing something selfless instead of being locked into this just sort of sad short-sighted world of internal damnation that is being a looper yeah. um cuts 30 years of tor- uh, turmoil yeah from before <laughs> he has his caring about someone else moment yeah i know he doesn't have to live in shanghai and uh <laughs> and gun people down from the, from the backseat of a convertible um which he did make look pretty fun mm-hmm. i gotta say um the the crippling drug addiction not so much um, yeah, I guess the uh, the crime detecting didn't catch up fast enough <laughs> that he was still able to have Molotov cocktail adventures at that point. <laughs> well, I got the feeling that, like, in 20 years, just everybody's going to have some sort of, like, one of those little subcutaneous implants that all, like, the uh, the really conservative Christian apocalypse theorizers are scared of. Uh-huh. You know, the people who are like, we're going to get a chip in our arms and it's going to be the mark of the beast. Mm-hmm. Um, we got, we got a, few, a few of those folks where I'm from. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> But yeah, I think everybody's just going to get one of those, and then you're not going to be able to, you know, kill people wantonly anymore. And won't that be a sad day, everyone? (laughs) (sighs) I wish we had freedom. (laughs) Damn it to hell from my cold, dead hands. Which I guess I I guess that's as good a time as any to mention the the one thing that really stuck out like a sore thumb to me the second time I saw it was the entire conceit of this movie rests on you know crime fighting technologies that are this good and it's impossible to murder anyone and it's it's the the worst thing in the world and um so the uh so we're we're led to believe this and they set up this big convoluted system with jeff daniels and everything yeah and then when they go to apprehend bruce willis in the distant future they rush in with loaded guns and itchy trigger fingers and they kill someone and they still go through the trouble of, like, oh, this one's alive. We'd better send him back in time. Now how do we figure out how to dispose of that body? Yeah. Like, like it feels a little unnecessary. <laughs> yeah, the whole thing, the, the, the whole film does not stand up to rigor in really the best way. 
Yeah. But I'm willing to forgive it because it does have a lot of really great performances and it does ask a lot of really cool questions. And it's got some really well shot action sequences. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Um, especially all the stuff with, uh, with, with Bruce Willis just tearing the entire mob a new asshole. Mm-hmm. Um, that's fun stuff. Again, sad to see Jeff Daniels go, um, <laughs> especially off screen like a chump. Yeah. That was kind of sad. I think they mentioned that as like the ultimate insult to Kid Blue as like even worse than him dying in your arms. Yeah. Like finding out that you just missed it. Like you weren't <laughs> even there for the final standoff. Yeah. Because you got shot in your other, in, in the leg, <laughs> like an idiot. Um, and then he shows up on his bike and he, he goes out like a chump. Yeah. Off screen, too. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Uh, poor Kid Blue. He was basically <laughs> the Wile E. Coyote of this movie. It's <laughs> an excellent way of putting it. Yeah. I, I liked it. So, and then what, what, what else do we want to... Oh, I did also want to talk about uh, the performance of the kid who plays Sid. Oh, yeah. That kid is so fucking scary. <laughs> Good God. He he and the original Damien from The Omen, like, they're going to have like a creepy kid party. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, I child child actors annoy me. Like... Not not in any way that it's their fault. I just find it irritating <laughs> a yeah. lot of the time. But then if a kid is really good, it's unsettling in a different way. Where yeah. like Haley Joel Osment creeped me out for most of his young acting career you're just because of how like, good did, he was. Where did you learn this? <laughs> yes, like, exactly. You've only been around for like eleven years. <laughs> and, and a lot of those years you pooped yourself. <laughs> <laughs> And like I, I didn't get a super creepy vibe from this kid, but he he was a lot better than he should have been. For you didn't that get age. a super creepy vibe. Not from this as kid? much as Haley Joel Osment. I don't know. Oh. No, he was terrifying. Like man. I thought he was an excellent. He was excellent at acting like a little kid, in a way that it wasn't like why is why is that ten year old acting like he's fifteen? Yeah, he was a great <laughs> use case for why you don't give catastrophic telekinetic powers to small children. <laughs> Because small children tend to have tantrums and not really understand the consequences of their actions. Yeah. Um, and if they can explode people, they're gonna. <laughs> and they have the puppy eyes to make you forgive them afterwards. I know. He would, every time he, uh, sorry about the, uh, the, the plane going by everybody. Um, Airstrike. Yeah, a little, little ambiance. Um, yeah, like every time he would have one of his big telekinetic freakouts, he would just cry and be like, I'm sorry, Mommy. And he'd be like, I can't stay mad at you. Like, <laughs> let's wipe that blood off your face, little bunny, and get you some Cocoa Puffs. <laughs> little uh, scamp. <laughs> yeah. And she had that safe in the closet, so it couldn't have been that rare an occurrence. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing that happens three, four times a year. Like, you know, the it's kid, a seasonal thing. Yeah, it's, just, it's winter. He can't go outside a lot. <laughs> he starts throwing his room around. But if you notice in his room, he has this, um, this poster for, uh, I think it's called like Bad Bill or Bad Bart mm-hmm. on his wall. And it's this bad guy Western character with a wide-brimmed hat. Mm-hmm. I love that little detail that in the distant future, the bad guys are all wearing wide brim hats. And then in Sid's room, we see basically the costume of his future <laughs> henchman. Yeah, that uh, is clever. I hadn't noticed that. Yeah, it's really, really cool little detail. Um, and another nail in the coffin of like, Sid's totally the Rainmaker. He is, <laughs> that is going to happen. Right, right. Um, I mean, I don't know. Do you do you think that little kid is going to grow up to be the Rainmaker now? I don't know. I, people love to argue about this and make diagrams of the timelines. Yeah. And, to be honest, most of the time travel stuff I don't feel is worse than any other 
time travel causality yeah. movie. And they, they so deliberately go, no, like, time travel's fuzzy, and we don't really know how it works. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm more than willing to accept that alongside, you know, the Back to the Future explanation, or even to call back to last week, the Star Trek 2009 explanation, or <laughs> or, or the 12 Monkeys. Um, yeah, yeah. Like, I think the way, the way Star Trek dealt with it, which was just like, no, like, a guy came into the past, and... Uh, and now we we got to deal with that um was was the way to go um anything else you want to say about looper um no i think that'll do it cool um all right well uh definitely recommend watching it a second time i'm not sure i'll watch it a third time i think two's enough for me with looper mm-hmm. but uh if it's something you want to revisit i definitely would um that's going to bring this episode to a close next week uh join us when we're going to be talking about the wizard of oz all right Um, can't wait yeah because i watched it when i was a little kid and i want to see if it holds up and you know cornerstone of filmmaking and everything (laughs) all right um this has been refried reviews on uh the hot oral network uh we'll see you next week bye-bye bye